so glad you guys are here. How many of you love trees? Oh, a lot already. Yay. Well, okay, those of you who aren't convinced yet, it's one of my goals. What'd you say? What? You just laughed. Oh, I love laughing. I love trees and laughing. Okay, here we go. I think everybody's here. Um, who knows what the largest living thing is? You're thinking, you're thinking. Yeah. Yes. Trees. It's a tree. The largest living thing has a name. Who knows what the name is? Sequoia tree, but it has a specific name. General Sherman. Nice. Guess what? It's only 16 miles from here. 16 miles from here, General Sherman tree. These sequoia trees, that's Eric and me at the bottom of the looking little next to those huge sequoia trees. These trees are right down the road here. You can walk from here to these amazing sequoia trees. But the General Sherman tree is 16 miles away in the National Park. And do you know that it is 379 feet tall? Yeah, and the largest sequoia tree has lived almost 3,000 years. Okay, I think that God wants us to be in awe of sequoia trees. And when we are awe, when we're just geeking out about them, that we think about the fact that he made them. Do you know sequoia trees only grow here? If you ever go to the General Sherman tree in Sequoia National Park, especially in the summer, you're surrounded by people speaking different languages. Why? Because they come here from all over the world. Because this is the only place that these trees grow on this 260-mile strip between 5,000 and 7,000 feet on the western side of the Sierras. It's the only place where the elevation, the water, the nutrients, the sun, the humidity, everything is just right for these to grow. There are only 65 groves in the world, so people come from all over the world to see these. Isn't that amazing? And it's here. You should ask your bus driver if you can swing by and see the General Sherman tree before you go home. And if they say no, which they probably will, you need to come back. Put it on your bucket list. There's something so amazing about feeling very small next to these trees and realizing that God made them. And why would God make these, make these trees? Why would God make them? Yes, to show how grand God is. Also, they just bring him pleasure. I believe that the things that God made bring him pleasure. And if they bring God pleasure, then they should bring us pleasure as well, right? We want to pleasure in the things that God pleasures in. But it shows us how big and powerful he is. We stand in awe of this tree and we look up and our eyes are supposed to be averted to the one who made them and to worship him. I hope you do that. I hope when you stand out on the grass down at the lake and you look at those mountains that are just the beginning of that amazing canyon behind that it makes you say, God, you are amazing. That's what he wants you to do. I think that's why he gave this property to Hume in 1946. 
It's so that we would stand in awe of him. Well, sequoia trees are amazing. And I think it's good to geek out about them and to worship God when we think about them and are near them. But do you know that trees in the Bible tell an amazing story? We're told in Genesis that God planted a garden and put some people in it. Right here. Here we go. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So imagine this garden. God planted lots of trees to get special mention. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think we can assume that amidst all of these trees, that the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are near one another and are kind of in the, the middle of this big garden of trees. And I think we can assume that they all look somewhat similar. We don't have any reason to think that these trees looked any different than the others, except we know that God gave them, God gave Adam, certain instructions about these trees. I think we can assume that the tree of life didn't have fruit that was ready yet. And so they were supposed to wait Wait before you eat from the tree of life. But you will have life when this tree is ready. But in the meantime, I imagine, I don't know for sure, that Adam and Eve had to walk past the tree of life to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do we know that God said about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Yes, he tells Adam, do not eat. So we know the fruit was ready. And we know that Adam was being tested. I think we can say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't necessarily look different from the other trees, but God gives him a test, and he says, don't eat from this one. There were plenty of others. And what does Eve do? She eats it. I heard you, somebody. She eats it. And offers it to Adam. God had directly told Adam to not eat it. He takes it from Eve. He eats it. And everything changed. Their lives got turned upside down and so did yours. Sin entered the world. And Adam, as our father, passed that on to us. I think we can safely say we all would have done the same thing. So what does God do? They, they fail the test. They don't wait for the tree of life. Instead, she takes the fruit, the one place where God said, don't eat, she takes it, and then what does God do at the tree of life? Who knows? Oh, just shout it out. Say it again. Kicks them out of the garden, banished. This rather aggressive word. It's not like, move along, move along, get out. No, banish, thrown out. 
And the tree of life now is guarded by angels with flaming swords. They can't even get near it. Now, this tree of life, if they had passed the test, was to offer them just abundant life. The kind of life we all want. And now it's guarded. And how in the world are they going to get back to this tree of life? They're banished from the garden. They can't even get near this tree of life. I think it's safe to say that the rest of the Bible story is this journey trying to get back to the tree of life. Because we long for it. We long for everlasting, abundant, fully satisfying life. And instead, we're living with the consequences of Eve taking that fruit. And being banished from the garden, kept away from the tree of life, and all of our relationships, there's distance, and there's strife, and there's harm, in our relationship with the Lord and with one another, with the rest of his creation, and the rest of human history, I think, as we know it, is an effort to get back to the tree of life. And we see that in God's word. Where else do we see the tree of life? We see it at the very beginning in Genesis, and where else do we see it? Say it again. Bumper stickers. Tree of life on bumper stickers. In the Bible, we see it at the beginning, and at the end, who knows where we see the tree of life? Where does it show up? Yes, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river. How interesting is that? The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, what are a couple things, what do you see here that seems unique? Yes. So if the tree of life had fruit that wasn't ripe yet and wasn't ready and they were supposed to obey God and be patient and wait, at this tree, 12 kinds of fruit, always available. Trees don't grow 12 kinds of fruit. This is so cool. The tree of life in Genesis has expanded here in Revelation its effect, its influence, its satisfying ability to satisfy, it's all expanded. There was one kind of fruit that wasn't ready in Genesis. And here in Revelation, there's 12 kinds, always available, year-round. This tree is on either side of the river. Hard to imagine what this looks like, right? A tree on either side of the river. It tells us that the leaves, even the very leaves, healed the nations. The tree of life in Genesis was in this garden that only Adam and Eve could have access to. Here, it's for the nations. Its influence has expanded. 
Even the leaves will heal. This is so beautiful. Every sin, every wrong, every brokenness, every disease, it can all be healed at this tree of life. But the tree of life, remember, was guarded. We don't have access to this. Remember, this is a vision. Revelation is a vision that John has, that John was given of what's to come, but it's not reality now for us. It's a beautiful picture, and it's develops and it expands what we saw back in Genesis, but how do we get there? Remember, I said the Bible, I think, is a story of God's people clamoring to get back to the tree of life and waiting for one who would give access to it. How do we have access to this tree of life? It's through another tree. Do you know that the cross of Jesus was called a tree? In several places in the Bible. In 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The cross of Jesus is called the tree. In Acts 13, Luke says they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. So this seemingly impossible sin problem that occurred at the first tree in Genesis was solved at this second tree, the cross of Calvary, so that we could have access to the third tree, the tree of life, full, abundant, beautiful life that we all want. You've probably heard that Jesus often is called the second Adam. Some theologians call him the second Adam. Adam was tested at the first tree of life, and he failed the test. Jesus is tested in Gethsemane, and he says, oh, can this cup be passed from me? But he passes the test. On your behalf, he passes the test and obeys God and takes on the sins of the world on a tree so that you could have access to that third tree that we see in Revelation. He's the second Adam who passed the test, unlike the first Adam who failed the test. And Deuteronomy tells us that criminals, criminals were hung to die on trees, and it was a sign of people being, one, being punished by people and cursed by God. Isaiah Isaiah 53 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. For you, he took on our punishment for sin on that tree so that the way to the tree of life would be open to us. So we were banished, the tree of life was guarded, but if we place our faith in Jesus... And what he did for us on that tree, we are welcome to this tree of life. And we can eat freely from this tree of life. And we can know life abundant and free and eternal. But we have to realize that it's only found in Jesus. And not in grasping fruit from other places. 
where life is not to be found. Eric said the other night, last night? No, it must have been, I don't know what day it is, Monday night maybe. But Eric said, sin has always lied. Sin has never kept its promise to me, Eric said. Sin has never kept its promise. Grasping the fruit that God does not intend for you does not keep its promise. But if we eat from the tree of life, if we place our faith in Jesus, this tree of life in Revelation has all the life abundant that we need. We don't need to grasp in other places. We often think of the cross as a tree of judgment, but the tree of judgment has become the tree of life for us. John 1 says, in him was life. In Jesus, that's where life is to be found. And John 6, Jesus says in John 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Life is only found in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We have to feed on his atoning death as our life. Nancy Guthrie wrote in this little book called Even Better Than Eden that I love, we'll have the life that Eve longed for and foolishly thought she could take hold of by grasping. We'll have it in Christ. We'll have it not by grasping for it apart from trusting God to give it to us, but by, in this life, taking hold of Christ and trusting that the life we long for comes only through him. The good life comes only through him and through the tree that he hung on for you to take on your sins. Paul said in Philippians 1, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we can live the good life now if we feed on Christ. Here's a cool thing. So we've been thinking about trees. When we place our faith in Christ and we live this abundant life that our Father has for us, we become like trees, the Bible tells us. In Psalm 1, listen to this. The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So we become like a tree that has, is always being nourished by this water, and we produce fruit, and our leaves don't wither. We don't dry up and die. In all he does, this righteous man, in all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind dries up and blows away. You become like a tree yourself. Offering fruit to other people and life to other people. There are a couple ways that we are like trees that I think we need to pay attention to. So I want you to look at this drawing. 
First, think about sequoia trees. Remember I said the tallest one is 379 feet tall. Huge. And if they live for thousands of years, how in the world do they not topple over? Strong winds, fires, all, all kinds of diseases. This winter, like 10 feet of snow up here. How do sequoia trees not topple over? You can see in this picture that their root systems are completely entangled and interconnected. Not only are they interconnected in a way that makes them tangled, but they actually share underground nutrients. In this picture, it's showing you that the tree in the middle is getting sun, sunlight, right? Which we know trees need sunlight to survive. But see the little yellow dots? What they're representing is that the nutrients that that tree is getting from the sun, it is sharing through their interconnected roots. It is sharing to the trees way out to the right and the left in this picture. Trees don't just do that with sunlight. They do it with water and nutrients. They are so interconnected. They are Some people say they communicate through their roots underground. One tree scientist calls it the wood wide web. Get it? Anyway, I'm so fascinated by this because I think it's a picture for us of what our lives are supposed to be like. Listen, life between Genesis and Revelation, from this tree of life to this tree of life, is fraught with difficulty. Some of you know that. Some of you have had loss and disease and brokenness and trauma. You know that life is hard. Some of you will know. Or you've at least loved someone who's been through something really hard. How do we stand? How can we be like a sequoia tree and not topple over when things get hard? This is how. This is what God intends for us. We are supposed to live like these roots. And what does God provide for us? Where are the roots? It's the church. God tells us, go deep. Go deep in church. Let your life be so interconnected that when hard things come, you don't topple. Do not believe the lie that our culture will tell us that you're supposed to be independent and on your own and think your own things and be your own person. It is a big fat lie that will leave you isolated and sad and unable to stand when hard things come. God intends for us to be interconnected with his people in such a way that our lives are so interconnected that people know us so well. The ugly stuff, the good stuff, and they still love us. And they show us a picture of God's forgiveness because they love us when we mess up big time. There are times, some of you have already experienced this, when your friend is flailing in their faith and they're thinking, I don't know what I believe, I don't know that I can go on, and God wants you to be the strong one and share the yellow dots, share the nutrients, Say, hey, I read my Bible this morning. Can I just read it to you? Because I'm finding strength here, and I'm hoping it can make you strong too. And I'm praying this for you. I'm praying this verse for you. Sometimes you have to be the strong tree who's in the sunlight, and you're saying, I'll share it. And sometimes you're the tree way out. And let those people in your life open the Bible and say, let me just read some truth for us. Don't say, oh, don't give me that trite answer. Let them strengthen you. Let your roots be so interconnected 
that when they are strong, they can help you. Be humble. Let them help you. That is how God intends for us to all thrive. That's how this whole grove is going to thrive. That's his plan. Go deep in church and stay there. And do not believe the lie that if you're 15, you have nothing to offer at church, that it's a place for grown-ups. Big fat lie. You are so needed. Develop meaningful relationships with old Christians, young Christians. Be part of the family of God. Not just your own family. They need you. They really need you. And you need them. You have so much to offer. Our churches should be places where the generations just mix so beautifully and freely. You shouldn't be all sectioned off. Find a way to make that happen. Here's another way. We're like trees. This is an experiment in Arizona where they built this really cool-looking structure, and they're growing all kinds of plants and trees in there. It's called Biosphere 2. And they try to recreate uh, all the moisture and nutrients and sunshine, everything that the plants and trees need so they can study them. And do you know what they noticed after years of this study? The trees were failing. They didn't grow to full height. Some of them are bending over. Some of them died. And the scientists were kind of racking their brains. They, they got the sun, the water, the nutrients. They have everything. Why are these trees not thriving? You know why they weren't thriving? The one thing you can't get in a closed building like this? Wind. You can't get wind. What does wind do to trees? Yes, it makes them stronger. Because they bend in the wind. I don't know all the science of it. I just think it's really awesome. <laughs> There's something that happens inside the tree when it moves that makes it stronger. And that's our lives. God allows difficult things in our lives, and we bend, and it makes us stronger. But we have to have the root system. We have to have the relationships with one another. I have, there are a group of seven of us friends, been in church together over 20 years, good friends. We have dinner together twice a month, which is a lot when you have a really busy schedule and we have loads of kids between us, the seven of us. But we commit to having dinner together twice a month because you know what we've realized? We need each other so desperately. And the longer you're friends with godly people, the more you realize you need them. They love you when you're ugly. They hold you up when you go through hard times. And here's what I've realized. We kind of take turns going through hard times. Two years ago, it was me. I didn't know if I could get out of bed in the morning because there was something so hard going on in my family. And my friends were so there for me. They fed my kids. They cleaned my house. They prayed for me. They were just there. I don't know how I would have gotten through it without them. And then... They get me through that season, and then another friend is going through a hard season. And we're all there, and we get her through that. And then another, that's how life is. We kind of take turns taking care of each other. And the longer you're friends, the more you'll realize that. But you've got to keep the roots strong so that when the hard things happen, you, you can't have this difficult thing 
pop up in your life and go, oh, I, I guess I got to go deep in re my relationships. They, they got to be there in place before the hard thing happens. It's God's great gift to us that his people can help hold us up. There's so much to learn, so much to learn from trees, but we can go deep with God's people and, and be fed and go deep with God's people and be strengthened so that you can be the tree, like in Psalm 1. You can be the, the righteous man or the righteous woman who is planted by streams of water who bear fruit for other people so you don't dry up. It's God's beautiful plan for you. Be a tree, be a tree. Okay, I'm done. What questions do you have? Yes. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, if Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, um, I'm assuming that they don't encounter the tree of knowledge of good and evil again because they're no longer in the garden where that was. So, yeah, we don't know. What else? Yes. This one? In Revelation? I think if it's representing Jesus, I think it's forever. Yeah. Yeah. No. Some people think they do. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> okay, one more. Yeah, in the back. Are you raising your hand or yawning? You're yawning. That's allowed. Okay, let me pray. Lord, thank you for bringing these men and women here this week. And Lord, in the Bible, over and over and over, we see a pattern that you meet people near trees on high places. And God, I pray that this week you would meet these students near amazing trees in this high place for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.